0: I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 4. And we're going to talk about evangelism as a spiritual gift and how it uh, fits into the gifts that God has given to us in our church as we're going through a spiritual gift series. And um, if you were here for the early service, um, then don't worry, you're not going to hear the same sermon twice. Um, sometimes this happens to me, and I go through the first service and I just don't like it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just don't like it. And today I had to go back to my office and think through some things. And it's going to be a little bit different. And uh, maybe you get the better message. I'm not sure. I don't know. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time worrying about it. But this is just what what I have. Um, Father, we just pray that you would be with us this morning. We so desperately need to know about evangelism, why we would do it, how to do it, um, who's good at it, who's not, who's responsible for it. We just need to tell the world about the Lord Jesus Christ, and He can help them. There's not a single person in this world that Jesus uh, cannot help. There's not a single person in this world that Jesus cannot save. There's not a person in this world would be better off without Jesus. Everyone is better off with Jesus. Father, make that plain to us. Help us to see that. Help us to appreciate it. Help us to get excited about being ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to get excited about where you put us where you've placed us, the people we know, the people we're going to get to know, help us to see how it all fits together with our mission and your calling upon our church. How it relates to things like uh, pro-life and and um, all the issues that we're facing in our culture, racial tension, hatred, animosity, bickering, uh, canceling—all those things that are going on around us, God. It has everything to do with how we are related to you, and we want people to be related to you, God, and may that be the impact upon us. May we be grateful to be a Christian, to be born again, to be in a right relationship to God. And may we also be excited about inviting other people to do the same. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So I want to read a very evangelistic passage in the Bible. This is how you do it really. It's how Jesus did it. It's a great example and model of evangelism in John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus was making more, baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea, departed for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. He came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied As he was from his journey, he was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So we're near Samaria, near a well where Jacob got water. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of water from me, a a woman of Samaria? Like, why are you asking, why are you even talking to me? For Jews who have no dealings with Samaritans, Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So she's there for water. Jesus wants to talk to her about living water. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well that we drink from, drink from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water at Jacob's well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So that water... At the well could sustain your temporary life, but the water Jesus wanted to offer to her was for eternal life. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said, you are right. I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you... Now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Like, how do you know this stuff about me? I don't know if you know this. But Jesus knows everything about you. He can put his finger on it when he wants to. And at any time. And he did that with her. And it kind of stunned her. And, um, and he said, uh, so she tries to shift subject a little bit. Um, she said, "I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where Jesus ought to worship." So she's doing a little diversion tactic, and Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, the hour is is here when neither on this mountain nor on Jerusalem you will worship." The Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And like Jesus was talking about things she wasn't very familiar with eternal life, eternal water, worshiping God in the flesh, worshiping God. In the Spirit. And the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you and him am he. It's like, what? He talks about eternal water, he offers water. And she says, Well, we've heard a Messiah is coming. Jesus says, I'm he. Just then, his disciples came back and they marveled as he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the man and were coming out of the town and were coming to him. So Jesus told her things that she knew that he couldn't naturally know. Like something about Jesus He has information about me that um, stunned her and was deep and spiritual. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, that's the we're watching Jesus do evangelism. In John 4. And then he's also describing how his life is built around doing the will of God. And he says, Well, he's doing evangelism. His disciples don't really understand it. They didn't really understand doing the work and will of God because they didn't do, they didn't even understand what Jesus was doing. But Jesus gives them a principle. That everything in his life would flow out of understanding this. And that is my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Like Jesus was so focused on doing the work of God. That's why he understood what to do in that moment with that woman at the well by Samaria. Do you not say there are four mouths and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the harvest. The fields are white for harvest. Like they didn't even see it. Like some of you don't. Some of you are right in the middle of the harvest field. And you don't even see the opportunities. You don't even see people in the way that Jesus sees people. It's because our hearts are often set on doing our will and not God's will. But if you want to understand evangelism and the heart of evangelism, you have to surrender yourself and put yourself and say, Lord, my will, my, my food, my desire is to do your will. And that puts you And opens your eyes up to why God has you in certain settings. The fields are white for harvest. In other words, there's lost people everywhere. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here is the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others labored, and you have entered into their labor. So John 4 is a fantastic evangelism passage that you should study. I'd love for you to go study this uh, after you leave here and think about it. So I, I want to um, tell you a, a, a proverb. It's kind of translated differently in different translations, but I like this translation because... Um, it kind of put an idea in my, my heart as an early Christian, but it's Proverbs 11:30 He who wins souls is wise. Now, you want to be wise? Then win souls, invest. In eternity. That's really what it's saying. He who is wise invests in eternity, and there's nothing more eternal in this world than souls, eternal souls. And so we want to be investing in that. That's what the church invests in. That's what you should be part of your life. As you think about different things to invest in, one of the questions you should ask yourself, you know how it comes on TV all the time? It says, Are you investing in gold? Are you investing in silver? And then Jesus comes and says, Are you investing in eternal lives of other people? you say, gold and silver, yeah, checking up my, RA, my IRA and my my retirement accounts to make sure I can retire at this age. That's all good. But Jesus also says, but are you investing in eternal souls? Because that's what goes past this world. It just goes right on through. And that's actually the only thing that goes right on through. I, I forget the name of the book, but it goes something like, there's a book called uh, One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven, uh, and it's soul winning. Um, and it's something we're called to do to do here. Okay, so um, how do we think about evangelism? Um, We have the gift of evangelism described in Ephesians chapter 4, 11, and 12. It's one of the four spiritual gifts, passages, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Those are the four texts where you'll find something about um, spiritual gifts. But the one in Ephesians 4 says, he gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists. Evangelists are a gift to the church. Evangelism is something, a responsibility to every Christian, but there are some people who have an extraordinary gift of evangelism, and they are especially a blessing to the church because it puts it on our minds, our hearts. They keep reminding you. It's like, no, this is important. Make sure we remember that this is one of the primary reasons we're here, and it goes back to the Great Commission that says, go into all the world and make disciples. Well, what is a disciple? A disciple certainly is someone who believes in Jesus, there has to be someone encouraging people, challenging people, calling people to faith in Christ. So that would be evangelism. So let me give you a simple definition of evangelism. Before I do that, let me, let me tell you about what my early experiences with evangelism were. My early experience with evangelism was I was super excited and terrified. I was so excited because I thought about this wonderful gospel I had. I was, I was 15 And I had become a Christian. I was like, oh man, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And it was. And I understood that in my naive little 15-year-old brain. I understood. Man, this is awesome. My sins were forgiven. Believe me, I had 15 years of practice as a sinner. I had a lot of sins and I was suddenly it became very weighty to me that my sins were going to condemn me to an everlasting eternity separated from God in a place of pain and misery and suffering. Suddenly, like a light went off when I was 15 and I understood that I was a guilty sinner before a holy God and I called out to God for mercy and he, He responded. I remember that. And it was the most special moment. It was the life change in my life. And that was dear to me. It's still very dear to me. And so being part of the gospel mission was like, i would never been a part of anything that was lasting. My home life didn't last. My things, friendships didn't last. Dating relationships didn't last. Whatever. Nothing lasted. And I found something that lasts. I was so excited. But I also was terrified about witnessing based on the way I had been taught. And I'd basically been taught to witness. My church only had a couple of young people, like four or five young people. We were a little church out in the country somewhere. And we ended up there for odd reasons. We weren't there that long. Um, But I didn't have young people around me. I didn't know any. There was another guy there that became a Christian about six months after I did. And we became very good friends. But There wasn't anything, there wasn't a a youth ministry there. And so I had another friend from school that went to this church youth ministry. I went to church with him, went to the youth ministry on Wednesday nights. And it was a little bit of the, um, he talked about evangelism almost every Wednesday night and made us feel guilty that we had not invited more people to church. And I don't know, I just, learning from him, I got the idea that an evangelist was someone that shouted at people, told them they were going to hell. And they needed to repent and start coming to that church. Just what it felt like. And I remember I just started thinking that that doesn't feel like my experience. Um, I was shared the gospel with my grandmother who told me about Jesus and that he loved me. And due to certain things around a, a car wreck and her dying and... I, I came to trust in the Lord that I deemed to be a wonderful savior and um, so anyway my I, I, evangelism was kind of one of those things that I felt guilty for not doing it more um, and I still didn 't see it modeled very well i didn 't know like how to do it and so so this morning, I want to give you a, a very simple definition of evangelism intentionally. Moving people towards placing their trust in Christ alone. I've seen some much heavier theological definitions, but that one's just really simple. Intentionally means on purpose, (laughs) it means you mean to. Intentionally moving people towards placing their trust in Christ. If someone's like way out there and Christ is here, how can you move them towards coming to a place of trusting Christ? There's a lot of things they need to know and understand and begin to hear and discover. And God, if He wants to, can do that at light speed. You could meet someone and they could become a Christian that day. God does that. But if, you don't, if they don't become a Christian that day, it doesn't mean you stop doing evangelism. You move them intentionally towards placing their faith in Christ. And how do you do that? Well, the first thing is you start asking questions and, and you start talking to them. And you treat them like a real person. Do you believe that? You'll treat them like a real person. You know, some evangelists don't treat people like real people. They treat people like a number that they get to show up at the end of their evangelistic crusade but not like real person. And you, if you want to be doing evangelism God's way, then, then treat them like a real person. Um, and they, they need to know about Jesus. And I want to give you a, that's what evangelism is intentionally moving people towards placing their trust in Jesus. Okay. Now I want to give you a real simple method. Um, can you pull up that picture? That's one of the simplest methods I know and anybody can do this. You can, You don't even have to memorize. I started saying you can memorize one verse of scriptures. You don't have to memorize it. It'd be nice. But do you know, you could take one verse of scripture and explain the gospel to someone and I've done this for years. I learned this as an early Christian. This is kind of my go-to. And I know about the three circles. I know about the evangelism, explosion, the two diagnostic questions. I know about the four spiritual laws. I've heard a lot of them. I just find this works for me and it's simple and it's sometimes referred to as the Roman road or the gospel bridge or the Roman bridge. I'll just call it Romans 6.23. And Romans 6.23 is one of the simplest ways to explain the gospel to someone that I know of and it's that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you have two cliffs. And the one cliff is the cliff of works. Over here. And the other over here is reaching God and and the, the mountain of grace. And eternal life. And over here is works and death. There's only two. Ultimately, there's only two uh, ways men try to get to heaven. There's only two. All... All um, religions and their efforts to get to heaven boil down to two. And one is called works. Everything fits under here. And there's just one that's called grace. And that would be the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be the gospel rightly understood and embraced. And this would be all forms of religion and every other cult, um, everything. Any other approach to try to reach heaven would be. Um, based on what we do as opposed to what Christ has done it's the only two systems now there's a ton of systems on the works righteousness side every other religion is based on works for righteousness here's what you need to do to get yourself in position to get a ticket into heaven and then the other position is you can't do a thing Christ did it all those are the only two options so um, on the left side, you have wages for the wages. Wages is what you earned. And what you earned is from your sin. Your sin is your work. The work that you've done would be categorically, theologically, morally sin, sinful. The wages of your sin, your work, what you deserve, or what you will get paid your wages for your sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Death comes as a result of sin. That's what we get. That's what we deserve. It's right. It's actually righteous and holy. We get death. Everyone. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. And then the very opposite on the mountain of grace and salvation as opposed to death. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life. The opposite of a wage is a gift. It's not what you earn. It's not what you demand. It's something completely freely given to you. It's the free gift. It's a free gift. Do you guys like gifts? I love gifts. Well, most gifts. I've received a few that I didn't think were so funny. But this gift we're talking about, the gift of God. If God's the giver, then I'm interested in that gift. Who's the giver? God. The gift of God. God. God wants to give you. God has a gift for you this morning. If you're not a Christian here, I have just such great news for you this morning. God has a gift for you. He has a gift. You can't earn it. You're not going to get it because you showed up. You can put 10 grand in the bucket. That's fine with me if you do. 100 grand. Go ahead. Put 100 grand in it. But you're not going to get salvation for that. You're not going to get heavenly brownie points. You want to inch a little closer toward heaven. The gift of God is eternal life. It's the the gift of God. This is the message we have. This is the message we have. But how do you get that? It's through Jesus Christ, the Lord. How do you get from one side over to the other? The bridge from death to life is Jesus. Jesus is the bridge. And Jesus, when you say, what about Jesus? It really boils down to who he is and what he's done. And that's packaged as what's being offered to you. The bridge is, I accept. Jesus said, I am the way. There's no other way. I am the way. I am the bridge. I am the door. I am the life. I am the water, as he was telling this woman in John 4. And he says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And there's really three things I usually think of. As the simplest way I know to explain what Jesus did. I just go back to his life, death, resurrection. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. His life, he lived a perfectly righteous life. He lived a human life. He was a human being. He became incarnate. I mean, God became flesh and dwelt among us. So we have Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, his life, he lived, he was born of a virgin birth, a miraculous birth that God chose in the person of Jesus Christ that God the Son there's God the Father Son and Holy Spirit God the Father Son and Holy Spirit decided in the eternal counsels of God that Jesus would go and become flesh and live and enter into our predicament in order to obey the law of God and put perfectly fulfill the law of God, so that he could then offer his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And if you read the Old Testament, you learn all about sacrifices, that because we have sinned, the penalty for sin is death. Animals had to die and give their blood, not a little blood, their life blood. It's not like you prick their finger and go, that's enough blood. No, it had to be life blood. It's like throat, dead, stop. It had to be the lifeblood. Something had to give its life to pay for our rebellion against God. That's the Old Testament message. The conclusion of the message is that that was Jesus. All those were only um, preparatory. None of those deaths were ever sufficient. No one went to heaven with goat blood, bull blood, dove blood. Only the blood of Jesus. So all of that was only holding back the wrath of God. It didn't satisfy the wrath of God. The wrath of God was held back until it could be poured out on God's only Son. So all the wrath of God was being held back until it could be poured out on Jesus. That's the Jesus we're talking about. That's who we're talking about. That God sent His Son to die for us on the cross and pour out His wrath upon the perfect Son of God. And that's why He is also called the Lamb of God. You see the symbolism, the Lamb of sacrificial Lamb. And it wasn't Abraham's Lamb, it wasn't Noah's Lamb, it wasn't Moses' Lamb, it wasn't Aaron's Lamb, it wasn't any old priest. From the Old Testament lamb, it was the lamb of God, and the lamb actually was the priest. He was the sacrifice and the sacrificer. He sacrificed or vicariously, um, voluntarily gave his own life to die. So that is the life and the death. The death was a real death. It was a complete death. Jesus didn't feign death. He didn't fake it and then get up and go, oh, just teasing you guys. I didn't really die. That didn't get me. He missed me. He didn't do it. No, he really died. He completely, totally died. Dead as dead can be. He died. And then, miraculous by the power of God and the power of the resurrection and the power of Christ's righteous life, the Bible says that he rose from the dead. So we believe in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and, by, and then we are called upon by God not only to believe that that actually happened, historically happened. We're not only called to believe in what happened, we're called to believe in Him. We're to believe in Him who rose from the dead. It's not to say, hey, do you believe this, this, and this? Do you believe Jesus died and resurrected? And this? Yes, that's not enough. It's not enough to believe the facts of the gospel. You need to believe in the person of Jesus Christ. You need to believe in a resurrected Jesus. Jesus is not someone who's just out there doing his thing. He's someone that wants to come in here and live in us and bring his resurrection power into our dead and dying lives. And so he raises us together by faith. We're united to Jesus and baptism pictures us dying and rising anew. With Christ, through Christ and our attachment to Jesus Christ, we are raised from the dead. And so you see the picture of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you understand this, my friend, you're an evangelist. If you know this, you know enough. You know the greatest measure, message ever given. You are an evangelist. You may not be a very good one. You might be a rather quiet one. You might be slow on the take. You might be out to lunch a lot. But you have the message and the call to be an evangelist. Isn't that exciting? Some of you are going to know it's terrifying. Well, That's all right. That's part of faith. That's the next spiritual gift. We'll get to that. But today I just want you to think about what the message is. And then I, I want to um, I, I give you a couple of quick challenges. Okay, so let's just say you're sitting here and you're thinking, um, here's what I would love for every, every one of you to do. Every Christian, every person that becomes a Christian in our church, I'd love for you to do this. I'd like you to be able to tell... What happened to you? What's your story? How did you become a Christian? You don't have to go into theological depth. For me, it's like, well, my grandma told me about Jesus. And I was living like a typical 15-year-old rebel. And a situation happened in my life where I felt like I, I, I came to the realization that if I died... I, wouldn't, I wasn't right with God. I, I wouldn't go to be with the Lord. And I cried out to God. And He saved me. And He literally changed my life. It happened like that. There was buildup. There were seeds planted. I didn't know that there were seeds planted. I didn't have any idea what God was doing. But God was at work. I didn't really even know it. But suddenly like a light went off. And I just saw Jesus was beautiful. And I took Him. That's all I know. Jesus was magnificent. Jesus was God. Suddenly like, understanding grabbed hold of me. And I just grabbed the hand that reached down to save me. And that's, that's my story. And then if someone wants to know and I get a chance to tell them a little bit more about my story after that, like some of the things I've learned, that's fine. But you can tell people that. You can tell. So I would love for you to, to get a little bit more intentional On letting some people know about the biggest thing that ever happened in your life. Most people I know that just got married are pretty excited about it and they tell people. If you're not, you got problems. (laughs) Most people are pretty excited when they get a raise and they get a new job or something positive happens in their life. This is the most positive thing that ever possibly happened. So I just want to challenge you. Talk about it a little more. Talk about it more. Okay. The other thing is I want you to do is expect challenges, expect some obstacles and expect that there's going to be some, some challenges to that. And then don't perceive every person as an instant conversion. Evangelism is helping move someone towards choosing Christ and it might be. That God opens the door wide open, you can see, like, man, there's, there's, no, there's no more hurdles. This person has no hurdles. They're ready. And just invite them. And say, hey, are you like in a place? Would you like to become a Christian? And they might say, is that, is that possible? How? How can I be saved? You know, there's people in the Bible ask questions like that How can I be saved? They may be so ready. You can ask them to say, hey, where, where where are you? Like, are you are you thinking about becoming a Christian? Are you interested? Would you like to talk about that? Or do you still have some obstacles? And it's so like, well, well, where are you at? What are your obstacles? Well, I heard this when I was a kid. Or I experienced this from a church. Move them towards that decision. Help them. Just help them. It's like, hey, if you got some questions, I, I'd, I'll be honest with you. You know me. I'd love for you to become a Christian. But I also understand you may have some obstacles here. And I'd love to. Let's talk about it. I read this book or I got this or I heard this lately. Whatever. You love that person and ask God for the wisdom to know how to help them move a step closer. Okay. And then um, pray a lot. Oh my, pray a lot. And don't let nervousness and anxiety and fear of rejection and all those things the devil's going to whisper in your ear. Just like, no, this is the will of God. And just ask Him to help you. It's like, Lord, help me do this. I'm not real, I don't think I'm real good at it. I'm really nervous. My friend's going to reject me. They're like big time anti-this. And they don't have the same political views. And sometimes they get a little... I can just tell, man, they're out there canceling everybody. They'll probably cancel me in a friendship. And it's like, But they need Jesus. And just ask Him. Pray for Him. And then... The last thing I want to say is uh, I want to I want to I want to give you I want to give you a reason. Um, Man, I wish I had more time and I could just I, I just wish I could just saturate your brains and your heart with revelation.